You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Well, we're wrapping up this weekend our current message series as we've been reviewing the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, throughout this series, we've been referring to various images uh, each week that help us review these basics. We've got these, these series of photos and, and illustrations. We started with our vision, which is a church to be serious about bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. And then we talked about the importance of abiding in Jesus personally and having that personal, ongoing, deepening relationship with Jesus. Then we talked about what it means to shepherd others toward maturity, that it's not just about ourselves, but we're called to relationship with others and that we are to uh, be speaking into each other's lives and helping each other grow and mature in our faith. And then last week, we talked about the importance of inviting those that are not yet connected into relationships in our small groups and the importance of that, and then also chasing the strays, those who might stray away from Jesus and his church. Today, we're going to talk about supporting leaders, and specifically, we're going to be talking about supporting new leaders. Now, the final, also through this series, we've had at the door as you leave each week, a button that represents our focus for the day. And this seems very appropriate to have a button with one person having their arm around another person, uh, just being there to support them. And we want to be that church that's supporting each other. And we specifically today want to talk about supporting those that can be future leaders. And I thought it was really appropriate to have our children up here on stage as we think about how God wants to work in their lives as they grow in faith. Uh, we hope that this series has, has been encouraging to you. We also hope these little buttons that we've had, we've never done that before, has just been kind of a fun way to revisit and refocus on what we're doing. Uh, last week, I saw somebody, uh, well, Andrew Beal, our executive minister, he had them on his shirt last week, and I thought that was kind of cool. And, and somebody had a scarf, you know, it was a real cool scarf, and I, I didn't have that kind of uh, scarf to wear, plus it's hot, okay? So who wants to wear a scarf? But I went into my uh, closet and dug out an old scarf with my team's colors, okay, the Indianapolis Colts, and I put uh, the buttons on them, and um, I, I thought it was a safe week to, to wear my Colts colors and show this, uh, this scarf because I am confident the Colts will not lose today, okay? I'm confident of that. They're not playing today, okay? So, uh, but I felt it was a safe week to wear that, but I hope that you'll pick up this button and be thinking about what it represents more importantly, that we're called to relationship with Jesus, but we're also called to relationship with each other and to support one another in our faith. And today we want to talk about how to support people in growing in their leadership and understanding that God has a place for them to serve in leadership. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for 
the time that we've had already just to worship you in song, to see our children lead us in a couple songs. And Father, now as we open up the Bible, as we open up your word and read from it, I just pray that you'll be at work powerfully, that you'll give me the wisdom and the the insight to know how to share the things that are on my heart in such a way that it'll be really meaningful and helpful and inspirational and maybe at times challenging to everyone that's here. And Father, I pray that we as a church can live out this passage that we read or had read earlier, Ephesians 4, and as we zero in on a, some few key verses, help us really take it to heart. That is our prayer. That is our request. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we dig into the reading, a little bit more focus. We're not going to read it all over again, but verse 11 of Ephesians 4 that's listed in your message notes there talks about various churches in the, uh, excuse me, various leaders in the life of the church. And after mentioning these leaders, in verse 12, we read their responsibility. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. You know, I think it's easy for someone to come to church and to be just a spectator and just to say, well, I'm here to watch what the leaders are going to do. Well, this passage points out that the leader's job is not to do the work of the church. The leader's job is to equip or prepare others to do the work of the church, to do what God's called all of us to do. As we keep reading, we see the goal of leadership and our interaction with each other in the church described in this way in verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. As we see throughout this passage, the goal of leaders is to help the church mature in such a way that there is a strong unity among us, that there's an increased knowledge of who Jesus is and what it means to be his followers, and also for us to really find the fulfillment that God wants us to experience as his spirit lives within us and we live out our faith. Now, I love this description depicted in this text and also our opening video in which the church is made up of different people who belong to Christ and take their lead from the head, which is Jesus. As one writer described this passage, it it depicts Jesus Christ as the source of growth, and yet also the body grows into Christ as each member of the church takes their cue from our head, our leader, Jesus. The same Bible passage uh, here in Ephesians 4 is described by one scholar and author, a, a guy that I refer to often, a guy named N.T. Wright. In his commentary describing this text, he, he describes it, puts this heading over it, grown-up Christianity. I like that. In many ways, Ephesians 4 is a description of what grown-up Christianity should be all about. It seems appropriate to touch on this passage on a week we're talking about the call for more and more people to become leaders within the church. 
It also seems a very appropriate passage for us to focus on, on on what this weekend is. I don't know if you knew it, but this weekend, uh, October 7th, actually October 5th was our anniversary, but this weekend, October 7th, marks our 21st anniversary of our grand opening as a church back in uh, 1997. And by the way, I'm just curious, if you were at the grand opening, raise your hand. All right, two of us. Okay, great. Thank you, Linda, for coming to the grand opening and still being here. So you can see we've come quite a ways from, from that grand opening, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. Now, if you were here last year on our 20th anniversary, we had a whole weekend of fun activities. On Friday night, we had a pig roast, and, and we had a concert that night, a worship concert, and then we had a special weekend of just a number of festivities really celebrating that mile marker of 20 years. And, and although Lee Wagner might want us to have a pig roast every year, I'm not sure we're going to have a pig roast every anniversary uh, of the church, but 20th seemed like a, a big one to celebrate. But 21 is, I think, also an important one for us to think about. You see, a as you think about turning 21 in life, you know, 21 for many is, is kind of that mile marker in many people's minds of adulthood, or at least on that road to mature adulthood. Because when I think back when I was 21, I'm not sure if I was really ready to be described as an adult yet in many ways, but some are. But, you know, as you think about a church that's 21 years old, you see, we're no longer to be considered a church plant, which at one time we were, or even a young church, or even an adolescent church. But now we're called to be a grown-up church and to live out what it means to be a mature body of Christ. In verse 14, as we keep reading through Ephesians 4, we read it's time for us to grow up, to no longer be infants, to no longer be shaken or deceived by false teaching. Instead, we're to speak the truth in love to one another, helping each other become that healthy, growing, loving body of believers, a church family. In the remainder of our time together, we want to look at three important reminders to embrace what it means to be a growing, healthy church body. In fact, we're going to use an acronym of FIT, okay? Now, when you think about someone that's uh, really taking care of themselves physically, they, they give attention to what they eat, what they put into their body. They also make sure that they exercise regularly. Uh, now, if my wife were here, she's out of town visiting our granddaughter. But if, 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 if my wife was here, she would say, now, you need to practice what you preach and do more regular exercises. But, but for those of us who, for those of you, I should say, who are good at exercising, you, you exercise regularly so you can be fit physically. Well, as a church body, we need to keep focusing on what we need to be doing and what we need to be exercising so we can be fit spiritually, and be a strong body of Christ. Well, the F of fit is a reminder as a church, we're called to continue to have faithful leaders, to continue to have faithful leaders. 
I'm grateful for the faithful leaders that God has given us as a church since our conception as a church. Leaders who have spoken into my life have been a great encouragement and inspiration to me to keep believing what God wants to do in the life of this church. Leaders who've embraced our church theme verses, which is actually found in this same book of the Bible that we just read from in Ephesians. It's actually just the chapter before Ephesians 4. And actually at the end of chapter 3, Paul uh, offers a prayer in his letter for the church there in Ephesus. And at the ending of this prayer, there's these powerful words describing what it means to put our faith in the God that we worship. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. As I think about how God has blessed us as a church in our first 21 years, it's truly infinitely more than what many of us could have asked or imagined or thought back in 1997. You see, we started with seven families. One of those families was a single dad, so we had 13 adult members in our our church when we started. We were basically a small group. And we met in a home, and, and uh, we, we were excited. We, we rented a, a banquet center that's on the border of Springboro and Franklin, and we began to dream of becoming a church that would reach several hundred people. And yet, when we met in that banquet center, we realized to be the church that we felt like God was calling us to be, we would outgrow that fairly quickly. And I, and I remember asking someone of that original team and original leadership, I said, what are, where are we going to meet after we outgrow this banquet center? And I'll never forget what that faithful leader said to me. He said, God will provide. But when I looked around Springboro in this area, there weren't that many you know, venues that, that we could rent after that banquet center. But you know, God had a plan and God uh, did beyond what we could imagine. You see this whole area of Settler's Walk, there was a, there was a front area, some, some of the homes up on Lytle, but beyond that, there really weren't very many homes in 97 in this plat. There wasn't a YMCA. And so about 2000, actually 1999, we were approached by someone to say, hey, there's, a, there's an effort to build a Y. Would you guys want to be a part of that? And we said, We're going to need a place to meet. And so by faith, we started venturing into some conversations and and God provided a place for us to meet. And for about 12 years, we rented in the YMCA. And then we went to two services and that was exciting because you see, and then we were able to buy this land right next to the Y so we could continue our partnership. And so truly, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask and imagine. And yet, as we look forward to the future, the challenge is to not only remain grateful for what God has done up to this point, but continue to ask and imagine great things for God to do in the life of this church going forward. 
Later this month, our entire leadership, including our leadership team, our elders, our ministry staff, we're going to be sitting down for two days with some outside consultants. We're bringing them in because we're excited about what God's done up to this point. We're excited about our vision statement to be a church that's that's really bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. And we have this passion to reach the people in this area. And yet we want to learn how to be much more effective in living that vision out and living out our mission of following Jesus and making disciples. So we're going to meet with these consultants for two days and pick their brains and learn how we can be more effective. And I want to urge you to start praying for that. Pray for those meetings, that they can be real impactful in the future of us as a church. But preparing for those two days, these consultants sent me uh, a list of questions. They wanted me to, to answer them and actually send them back to them this week. And the way these questions were worded, I found them found them intriguing, and I found them actually inspiring. The questions were this, in five years, what do you see happening? And so actually on our actual anniversary date, October 5th, I sit down and spent some time that evening, and I answered these questions, or at least started the journey. I've got to send my answers to them this week. And I wanted to just share with you a few of those questions and how I answered them, I'd be curious how you would answer them. But you know, this was a good exercise for me, and I just want to throw that challenge out to you this weekend. In five years from now, where do you see yourself spiritually? In five years from now, do you see yourself at a different place than you are now? I hope so. Do you see yourself growing and being more mature, more spiritually fit? Maybe some of you even can begin to see yourself being a leader in the life of the church. Dream with me, if you will, this, this, this day, our 21st anniversary. So here's the questions. In five years, what does your weekend experiences look like? Well, I'm not sure if I've got that one down yet, but I tell you what, I'm pretty excited about some of the improvements we've made recently with the stage, the backdrop, uh, to create, a, I think, a better atmosphere. I'm thinking, okay, if God's done that, you know, what, what else does God have in store for us? And so I'm excited about seeing what happens. In five years, how many people are attending your church? That's one of the questions. Well, I think when we left the wire about 250, 260, and now we're running consistently 400 on the weekends. So I started thinking and praying, okay, what, what size will we be five years from now? You know, as a, as a former math teacher, I, I like functions in mathematics that challenge you. And up to this point, we've done a lot of adding, and I'm grateful for that. But I think it's maybe time for us to start moving on to a more complicated function, that of multiplication. And so I started thinking, what would it be like if five years from now we multiplied, maybe just by a factor of two, but what if we multiplied to be a church of 800 on the weekend? And I started getting excited about the possibility and started praying about that. Maybe you'd like to join me in praying that. In five years, where's your main campus located? Well, forgive me if my vision is small, but I still see us here because I think this is a great location for a church to grow and thrive. And yet, as I think about, okay, if we're having 800 on the weekend, we're not going to be able to hold all those in two services here. 
uh, in, in this room. And so, you know, we moved in the building in 2012, but you know, five years after we moved into this building, we added on phase two to make more room for children and for students. By faith, I can see five years from now knocking down this wall and extending phase three to make more room for adults. Can you see it? I can envision it. God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. In five years, another question, how does the community view your church? Well, one area that we've been seeking to grow in this summer and fall is the area of friendliness. My vision, my dream is that when people walk into the doors of Southwest Church, they're greeted with warmth, they're greeted with a welcoming smile, they're greeted with people that really genuinely care And then when they enter into this worship, they see people that don't just enjoy watching others use their gifts and talents, but they see a a crowd participating and celebrating and singing out. You know, Tammy had to prompt the kids, sing. You know, sometimes I think maybe on weekends we need to be prompted, sing. This is good stuff we're singing. And let's sing out praise to God of how great He is. And and I, I... that's what I envision, people walking in and experiencing that. And, 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 and then seeing people that are genuine about living out their faith, not just on the weekend, but every day of the week. Another area we want to focus on beginning this fall is we want to be a better neighbor to those around us. In fact, next week, we're going to begin a, a six-week series called The Neighboring Life. And we want to encourage you to pick up a small group uh, book that, that shares that. There you go, another button, okay? But I'm not sure if we're going to keep doing this, but there is one for the neighboring life. But this week, our small groups are going to begin uh, meeting, many of them through a potluck or a dinner or dessert, and pass out books and talk about what this series is all about. We want to encourage you to be a part of that. But I, I long five years from now, that when people in this community, in the Springboro area and beyond, say, what's a church that really is meeting needs? They would think of us. I'm not sure if we're there yet. But that's my vision for the next five years, that we intentionally are making inroads, making a difference in this community, serving others, meeting real needs. In five years, how are you measuring success? Well, I'd like to see very intentional efforts to bridge the gap, making a difference, loving people in the community. But one other measurement that I'm going to be giving a great attention to the next five years is the number of small group options. You see, if we're going to grow to be a church twice this size, then we need to have more than two times this number of small groups that we presently have. I can envision 40 small groups offered throughout the week every week here at Southwest. But for us to have that many offerings and for that many opportunities for more and more people to get connected to relational environments where they can learn about what it means to follow Jesus and get practical help in living it out, there's going to be a need for more and more people to take that step of being a leader in a small group to provide that opportunity for others. In fact, I want to encourage you, listen now to someone 
who just recently has taken that step to begin leading in a small group. Hello, Southwest. My name is Holly Snyder, and I'm here to share my story with you about small group. My story might be similar to yours. It was this time last year that I was sitting in the audience on a Sunday. At the time, I wasn't part of a small group, and I was watching some of the video testimonies of other members as they were describing their experiences being a part of a small group. I recall one testimony in particular that resonated with me. She described their group as a family. She gave some examples of the real life challenges they had faced together and that they were doing life together. That's a simple but powerful statement that really struck a chord with me because at that moment I realized my children and I were pretty much doing life alone. I've been in previous small groups in the past and knew how beneficial small group was in my spiritual growth, but I had let the busyness of life intercede and had somehow gotten into a rut. As a result, I had become dis disconnected and out of sync with church and its members. My spiritual walk was becoming more and more stagnant. I didn't want that for my life, and it was then that I took that proactive step to join a small group on Tuesday nights. We have a lot of fun together, of serving together, of praying together, of laughing, of crying together, and we've deepened our connections with God and with one another. If I look back at my nine years here as a member of Southwest Church, I can see in my own walk that those forward momentum steps are directly correlated to when I was a part of a small group. I have seen God show up in so many ways this year. Because I had developed this connection with other members, it was about six months ago that I felt compelled and excited and prompted to share a video podcast on Ephesians with other members of the small group. The sermon had really touched my heart. One of the leaders, Cindy Garland, asked me if I would like to lead a study based off of this sermon. At first I was a little nervous and I wasn't sure if I, could even, I was even qualified to lead. But God gave me the courage and he placed it on my heart to do so, to accept and, and I realized that you don't have to have a degree in theology to lead a small group. You don't have to know all the answers and often the studies have guide books that are very helpful in leading the discussions. My small group members have been so encouraging to me to help build my confidence to lead and to overcome this initial nervousness and to help me take the next step of spiritual maturity. If you haven't yet taken that step in joining a small group, or if you feel like you are doing life alone, you don't have to, and I encourage you to join. You'll be amazed at how God blesses you in this decision. And if you want to learn how you can be a part, just stop by the wall behind the, the wall there in the back with the cross, and you'll see uh, a listing, and you can just even grab one of these flyers and... and See what group you can be a part of this fall. I'm, I'm fired up about the step that Holly has taken, not just to be a part of a small group, but then to lead a small group for others to be a part of. You know, one of the things that I recognize is that I've, I've had a, a shortcoming of, of really giving attention to training and inspiring and encouraging others to take that step of leadership. But over the next five years, that's going to be a real focus of mine. I'm committed to it. But because it's been a shortcoming in the past, I recognize my need for our next point, and that's to be intentionally praying, to be intentionally praying. You see, God says 
He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We need to start asking. We need to start imagining. And so I'm going to be very intentional in praying. On one occasion, when Jesus was out among the people, meeting physical needs and meeting spiritual needs through his teaching, I love how the Gospel of Matthew records that Jesus had great compassion for the crowds. He saw them as harassed and helpless. One translation says, his heart broke of where people were at. And it's in that setting that Jesus turned to his disciples and said this in Matthew 9. In the New International Version, he said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, Jesus identified that the problem is never going to be for a lack of people who have needs. The problem is not going to be that there's a lack of people who will respond to the invitation to hear some good news. The problem is not going to be there's a lack of people that that are looking for hope to cling on to. That's not where the, the lack is. Jesus says what you need to pray for are workers that will help bring in that harvest. You know, I have to confess, when we first started the church, all my prayers were about, Lord, please send people. I'll never forget. I've talked about before, but I'll never forget our grand opening. And we had this small group of people that we're starting with as a church, and we met in the lobby and held hands, and we prayed, dear Lord, help somebody come today, you know, for this grand opening. And I had, in my heart, I felt a nervousness. What's going to happen if nobody shows up except our original team? And then the car started pulling into the parking lot. And it just was like, yes, God has a plan for us. And you know, since that time, I think every week since we started the church, we've had somebody new come. If it's, if it's not happened every week, it's been happening almost every week. I mean, just, off, just every week we'll meet somebody new that walks through those doors that's searching for answers. You see, we talked about a year ago, there are 65,000 people within five miles of this building that are unchurched. Jesus says the fields are ripe. There are many people who respond. The problem is there's not enough people taking the message of hope to them. There's not enough people that are willing to have the courage and the boldness to, to reach out to their neighbor, to reach out to the workmate, to reach out to a family member or a friend and say, listen, I've found some good news and I'd like to share it with you. My, my prayer, my, my intentional prayer going forward is going to be for workers, for people that will take the message of Christ to more and more people. I'm going to be praying for more people like Holly to, 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 to step up and say, you know, with God's help, I can share this message with others. I'm going to be praying for you to have that courage. And in fact, I'm realizing that needs to be the focus of my prayer so much that I, I decided, you know, I, I wear a couple wristbands to remind me to pray for certain groups of people every day, and, and, but I'm running out of room on my wrist. So I thought I got to have something else to start praying daily for workers. And so I saw this passage in Matthew 9.38. So I've set my phone with an alarm to go off every evening at 9.38 p.m. 
That's a good reminder for me. Start getting, thinking about going to bed because I tend to stay up too late. But, then, but also, it'll be a reminder for me to pray for workers. And I'm going to be specifically praying for more people to step up and to lead a small group so that we can create more and more opportunities for p- new people to Southwest to be a part of relationship and learn how to practically live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Will you join me in praying? Maybe it starts with you praying and and starting to pray every day that you'll be bold. You'll be courageous to share your faith. You'll be bold and courageous to maybe step up and provide leadership for other Christians, for you to be a worker. Maybe for some, it's stepping up to be a volunteer in our children's ministry, our student ministry. How can you answer the call? And will you join me in praying for others to do so as well? Finally, for us to be that strong, fit, healthy church family, it's crucial that we continue to have humble, teachable hearts. In Ephesians 4, earlier in this chapter, we, re- we saw it in the video, but we read these words in verses 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, no matter how much we grow in our faith, we never outgrow our need to be humble and teachable toward others. When I first started in full-time ministry when I was in my 20s, and by the way, you'll notice this is an anniversary. I didn't flash up the picture of our our launch team when we first started the church because I get... get discouraged when I see myself with dark hair, okay? So, so I didn't do that this year. But the truth of it is, when I first started in ministry, full-time ministry in my 20s, I had a vision, I had a passion, I had an idea of what church should be like, and I wanted, to, I wanted it to be different than what I'd experienced growing up. And I thought I had the answers. You know, after being a part of one church plant that failed in my 20s, that was humbling. And through the course of time, you know, life just has a way of humbling you. And I think at this point in my life, I realize more than ever the need to keep learning and to keep growing and to keep learning from others that have been more effective at this thing called ministry. To be, I want to learn specifically, I want to learn from others that have been more effective of raising up others to lead small groups and to lead within the church so that we can support more and more new leaders within the life of this church. You know, for us to truly be a church that's growing and healthy and to live out this charge to be unified, it's going to take humility one toward the other, where none of us have the attitude that we've got it all figured out, but we're eager to learn from each other, whether it's on the weekend and in our fellowship with each other or whether it's in small group, that we're always eager to learn that which we don't yet understand so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. See, unity is key for us to be effective of living out what we feel God's called us to. But you know, unity's hard. All you have to do is look at our nation and realize that it's hard to be unified. 
In fact, my hunch is if we took a poll today of which college or pro football team you thought was the best, we wouldn't have unity. Or which team you thought would win the World Series, or which political view is correct. Or maybe even on some disputable doctrinal matters, there wouldn't be complete unity. But in Ephesians 4, he gives us a path to unity. He says there are certain core beliefs that we need to hold to. In Ephesians 4, verse 4, he says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I love that verse 7. In the body of Christ, each of us has been given grace in Christ by given different gifts. And yet, we've all been given extended grace through the hope that Jesus gives us. That's a common hope. That's a common bond that we can share together. In one of the, the unifying event, I believe, in the body of Christ something that we made a commitment to when we first started as a church, is that we would every weekend celebrate communion. Because you see, in communion, when we take the bread that reminds us of the body of Christ, when we take the cup that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was sacrificed, offered for us, we're reminded that even though we have many differences, We've come together as a body with a singular focus to follow the one who lived and died for us and who lives again. During this time of communion, it's a time to remember the one that we follow, to remember the one that's that's called us to be his body, for us to keep our focus on him to look past our differences and to look to Him for how we can find strength and grow together. It's a time for us to remember Him. It's a time for us to remember that we're called to do this together. It's a time for us to examine our own lives and say, where are we at spiritually? And where does God want us to be? Let's allow this to be a time of meaning, of remembrance, reflection, and vision. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that you've not only called us to relationship with you, you've not only called us to relationship with your son, but you've also invited us to be a part of his body, the church. Thank you for how you've worked in the life of this church. We thank you for how you've done beyond what we could have asked or imagined when we first started. And yet, Father, we know you're not done with us. And so help us be that strong, fit church. And yet, Lord, help us have that that strength in our singular focus of following the one who died for us. Help us during this time of communion to remember him, to reflect on what he's done for us, and to examine our own lives of how we're responding to him daily. And help us, Father, even during this time of communion, to begin to dream of what you want to do in our lives and how you want 
us to be a worker representing you to others. Help this be a meaningful, inspirational time of communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.